Hello, welcome to Utabia. David Hartrick is joining me, Stephen Chicken, down the line. I thought I'd do our names in a slightly different order and it ended up coming out weird. Yeah. I, I regret this decision. Good start, this. Yeah, I think you should stick to the simple things and do the simple things well. This is this is what we've learnt. How are you doing though, Dave? Good. Actually quite enjoying an international break. I don't quite know why we're playing friendlies, but uh, that's another subject. Yeah, if you want that, you can go on uh, the Styles Council, can't you? You can, for which the... is an excellent England podcast featuring myself. There you go. Getting the plugs in early. We've got a, a lot of questions. We asked for your questions for this Q&A episode, and you have duly obliged. We've got plenty of them to go through, mm. so we'd better crack on, hadn't we, uh, Dave? Yeah, thank you very much for all your uh, feedback. Yeah, brilliant stuff here. We're going to start with a nice easy one. This is from formerly Terrier Blog. Has Dean Hoyle tarnished his legacy by hamstringing the club with tight loan repayment schedules? <laughs> Who's going first, me or you? <laughs> I think I'll go. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of people asking about Dean Hoyle, and, and there's a fair few people that have been in the replies talking about this and, and wondering about this. And I think that I think that a few people have been, over the last year or so, left a bit disenchanted Um around the subject of Dean Hoyle who obviously took the club through such great times and took them you know two promotions into the Premier League which I don't think anyone sort of saw coming and I think this is the danger of 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 almost hero worship and venerating people is that eventually you're going to feel let down not necessarily because of anything that that they have done but I think just because no one can live up to to those kinds of standards, and I think among all the promotions and all the great stuff that happened at Huddersfield Town during his tenure, people almost lost sight of the fact that he is a businessman and mm. he is an owner of a football club, and that those two things aren't necessarily going to entail making decisions that aren't popular. It's going to involve making decisions that that in hindsight are not correct, and. I think that obviously wherever there's there's money involved, people are going to end up asking questions. I don't know if he has tarnished his legacy. Um, I mean, it's not really for me to say, not being a Huddersfield Town fan. I think only Huddersfield Town fans can really answer that question. Um, what I would say is I think there's probably been a bit of realism seeking in over the last sort of year 18 months or so um as regards dean hoyle what what do you think dave um i think i think it's a good question i think it's a massive bag of wasps basically (laughs) to even talk about it because you're going to end up annoying someone somewhere i think the thing you say about hero worship and venerating someone is very true which is why i sort of make sure that in private i slag you off people um (laughs) i don't think he has necessarily tarnished his legacy i think it's what you said i think he's put an amount of money into the football club that is is quite extraordinary at huddersfield towns level but then he got a hell of a lot of bang for his buck when he rolled the dice and got wagner in and got into the premier league etc like the training ground is a is a trigger word for some but there is an awful lot of money that's gone in there in terms of legacy etc and I think you're quite right. I think it's 
easy to forget Dean Hoyle was a businessman um, first before he was Huddersfield Town Chairman and he's got every right really to to take some money back out of an investment. Um, he has deferred his some of his loan payments, I believe, in, in times of COVID, etc. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's what Phil said during um, that interview. You know, we will be able to sort of audit that when the accounts come out next year. It's it's not something you can keep secret or or lie about. So, I I think I don't I think tarnish is a strong word. What I would say is that yeah, he's no longer Huddersfield Town chairman, even though he does have a stake and he is a businessman. He just wants some of what he put in. You know, bear in mind the money he's taken out is, is doesn't represent everything he has put into that football club either. I don't think it should tarnish his legacy. Um, whether it does or not really depends, I think, on, on your sort of personal attachment to, to Dean Hoyle as chairman, really. And I think partly on what your expectations are for owners, and yeah. I think I think that there are you could make a sort of a, a list of the owners of football clubs over the last sort of ten years across the country, and Dean Hoyle would be comfortably in the the top section of that in mm. terms of uh, you know support a sentiment even still even I think with the the questions that that some people are asking about him now I think he would still comfortably be in that top section if you compare it to what's gone on at, uh, I mean you don't even need to go to extreme examples like Berry or no. you know or anything like that you know I think you know you look at Manchester United you look at Coventry City you look at Newcastle United I think there are I mean, Brighton have had some <laughs> mm. not great running of the club over over the years, yeah. although everything's worked out now. I, th- I think the other side of it is, I think it's easy to forget when you look at football in context that a club like Brighton having a fan like Tony Bloom in charge and Huddersfield Town having a fan like Dean Hoyle in charge and then having another fan in charge like Phil Hodgkinson, they they are the completely the exceptions to the norm now. You know, football clubs are run by businessmen with very little attachment to them usually. You know, Nottingham Forest have a Greek owner. Bet365 essentially own Stoke. Um, you know, you, you, this having people with that you want to have sort of a deep affinity with the club is the dream for many clubs across many leagues. So I do think that there is something to be said for the fact that Dean Hill was owner for so long is still attached to the club and has passed it on to another fan of the club um, rather than selling it to, you know, some random consortium or a bloke who lives in Singapore or, you know, something along those lines. So, yeah, I, I know I know town's ownership and town's chairman, etc. They're always slightly difficult subjects to talk about because there is a some quite extreme views either way on them um but yeah i think realistically having a fan in charge i think enjoy it because there may not be another one in the line to just go and pass the club on to next time and it's a very different world when you are owned by tesco's (laughs) yeah yeah well i mean this is it i mean we're all it, it makes me a bit uncomfortable to be honest the fact that that every fan of every club is basically waiting for the next nice billionaire to come along mm. <laughs> um, and it's like is this really the model that that you that you want that you want to have just any old tom dick or harry and it doesn't matter who they are or what their human rights record is or you know 
any of the, what their business practices have been, any of these things, it doesn't matter as long as they've got money that they're willing to put into the club. And, you know, you, you saw how quickly, and I'm not slagging them off particularly, well, I suppose I am, but you saw the way that Newcastle fans were so quick to, to jump into the arms of... of they all became the, immediate you, experts on Saudi law, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The same as Manchester City fans have. Mm. And, you know, sending dogs abuse to Miguel Delaney and, and all of these things because they're, they're so desperate just to get Ashley gone. And I can understand that because, you know, they're not happy with the way that Mike Ashley has, has run the club or anything like that. But I just think this situation we're in where you're sort of desperate for a, for some billionaire to come along who's got a nice smile and yeah, and who's going to... not healthy. No, it's I, it, re- it makes me really, really uncomfortable. None of this is to say that Dean Hoyle didn't get things wrong or that the club didn't get things wrong during his ownership. I think there's plenty of things that, that did, you know, wrong decisions that were made. And I think especially sort of the last couple of years and there is the cat obviously the big caveat there that he was ill and and therefore away from the club for part of that but you know that they didn't get relegated from the premier league and then end up in a, a bit of a mess in the championship because that was a club that made a, a load of brilliant decisions um but i would say that a lot of those things that went wrong were transfer related rather than uh the the sort of overall running of the club yeah. uh, is what i would say on that and you can't have it both ways they, they did invest the money they didn't invest it well and i think that they would admit that um but that you know the money did go in and and I, I also get why people are, are upset that that money is now going back out of the club um, because I think quite often that money is is either um, either sort of stays in the club when when the 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 owner steps away or else it's part of the deal to buy the club is that that debt is paid off but that's not what they've they've done at Huddersfield Town um, and as we say he's got every right to to take that money back and to be honest I think it's much of a muchness because if Phil Hodgkinson puts his hand in his pocket and pays that money straight you know pays that debt off straight up front um, as part of the deal to buy it from from Dean Hoyle to buy his share of the club from Dean Hoyle then he's got less money to invest in the club further down the line so I think it is it does end up in the same place um, ultimately yeah I completely agree moving on to the next one then and this is from formerly Terrier blog do you think Phil Hodgkinson has been unfairly scapegoated uh, is he an easy unlikable villain or has he made mistakes which is rightly criticised for and I'll let you go first on that one Dave because I went first last time um, I do think he's had some unfair criticism that's not to say all the criticism he's had is unfair um, but I do think there are elements I think firstly the criticism, is, criticism he has had has gone too far on more than one occasion. And secondly, I think that the problem he's had is he came into a world where, for a while, for a good 12 months, everything he did was criticised, good, bad or indifferent, mm. everything he did. And a lot of it was to do with the legacy of what he was inheriting. If you If you look at, since Phil's come in, the layers of staff that have had to change at that football club that is not just one man coming in as a sort of despot and saying he wants to change everything that's obviously a level of auditing going on and and deciding that these people are either not the right people for the club or they don't fit with the organization as they want to go forward and I think he's had a he's, he's had a tough time 
he's had a tough time. Now, don't get me wrong, I think there have been mistakes made. I think there are things that Phil could have done better. Um, but at the same time, he's brand new to this. <laughs> his, his involvement with Southport is... It's a completely different level. It's it's the decisions are completely different. The it, it, like there's no we've said it before. There's no business in the world like running a football club. It's a completely from from the finances to the things you have to think about. It's just a completely alien thing. And I know some fans looked at things like you know the the team photos taken and things like that and I can understand why that grated but at the same time the Phil is learning I think I think he would tell you himself that he's a very very different person to the one who first took over at Huddersfield Town and I think you know stuff like the Twitter pushback night and various other things I'm sure he looks back and doesn't feel great about but I do think he's a bit of an easy target I do think town fans sometimes need to understand that a lot of the issues at the club are things that have been coming for four, five, six years. Um, you know, you you can't you can't blame the bloke who's trying to sort it out for the problems themselves, and he has had a bit of that. I just I I think the problem is with town overall. Just to sort of take it beyond Phil, and I I I'd like your take on this. I think Phil has had the criticism that comes with a team who just isn't winning. I think if Phil yeah. comes in and the team is doing fine and going on an upward trend, nobody's even bothered about things like the training ground photos or the Man City thing. Or The problem is he's inherited a club that was just sliding after that pitiful final year in the Premier League and then that awful start in the Championship because they had players who didn't want to be there and they had a manager who didn't quite know how to get anything more from the dressing room and the recruitment wasn't great like all of those things combined and needed a figurehead and suddenly Phil Hodgkinson became the figurehead for it all yeah we yeah exactly and I think we've talked before about when there's a bit of a, a vacuum people will will rush to fill that themselves yeah and and I think I'm not talking there about the any communication from the club or anything like that I'm talking about a vacuum of sort of explanations because there was so uh, by which I mean an explanation for how have we gone from up here to down here Mm. and I think I think as I say I think they got the recruitment wrong and I think they would admit that in the second season in the Premier League and I think that that though some of those were costly mistakes that that are still being felt to this day, and that was money that was spent that could have been much better spent on on other players or other things that that would have been better for the short term future of of the club and the long term future of the club. To be perfectly honest, um, and I think that people are, I think sometimes a simple explanation for something is quite unsatisfying, and I think people are are always keen to look to see if there's anything deeper there. And I'm sure that there are things that they've unearthed, as you say, at the club that that were going wrong. But I think that the recruitment and the 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 sort of the bruising that the players took from having lost so many games. I mean, Danny Cowley was talking about it when he came in in September last year and Carlos Corbran was still talking about it when he came in in, uh, what was that, in August this year when he did his first press conference with us was talking about how, you know, this was a squad that needed a bit of a, of a pick-me-up after two really, really difficult and, and bruising seasons. And I, I think that, <laughs> that those explanations 
probably account for sort of ninety percent of of everything that's gone wrong on the pitch over the last two years. But I think that those explanations are not satisfactory to some people, and it almost because it's because football is played out over so long and a season is sort of nine months. You get bored of those explanations in sort of month two, and you start digging through everything else, trying to find. Yeah. Any other issues? I mean, you and I have done it occasionally ourselves, or at least I have. Not um, where where you sort of you you write something in there or say something, then a few months later you go back and go, do you know what? We were <laughs> making a mountain out of a molehill there. The real issue was over here all along, and we'd already talked about it. So. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a bit of that going on. We need to uh, move on, really, because we're already nearly 20 minutes into this and we've got a lot of questions to, to crack on through. Um, but we'll stay with the with the board. Uh, do you think, this is from Sivan John, do you think it's imperative that Phil Hodgkinson starts to invest money in, in transfers to really make Carlos Corbrand's project a success? As much as I like what Carlos has done with the existing players plus the few, plus the few new ones, our squad depth isn't strong enough. Um, I think we've we've talked about recruitment a hell of a lot, and we've talked about the squad a hell of a lot. I I think the the problem is that town aren't a million miles away, but they do need a couple of bodies in. I think it would be fair to say, and I think the like you can still the the club can still have their youth policy and getting people in. Um, but also sign a couple of players to sort of supplement and help the first team. And I think, obviously, Rolando Aarons was coming in in a position where they desperately need somebody. So that shows there is a recognition of that. I don't actually think it's about investing loads and loads of money. You know, people didn't cost loads and loads of money. Um, it, it's it's about finding the right players rather than just finding players. That's, that's the yeah. difference. And... While I think, yeah, the squad needs... I mean, argue, I, I would make the argument it probably needs two wingers. Um, and mm. I'm not going to have the striker debate with you again. <laughs> um, and I, what, what I would say on the strikers is if 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 they see Kieran Phillips as a long-term successor or even Kieran Herrett as a long-term successor for uh, Fraser Campbell, then I can understand why they wouldn't want to get someone. Um, but my only thing with the transfers is is how much are they going to look at the players who might leave in June and think, actually, we can pull the trigger on getting a replacement in for them yeah. now. And Campbell is one of those players whose contract is up and he's 33. So Yeah, I think with Campbell, though, I think you can look at somebody like Campbell and I think there is... Uh, probably a level of money at this stage of his career he would accept to stay in his hometown rather than having to have another another move yeah. somewhere so i think there's things that can be done but like if if you look at the goalkeeping options they're not bad if you look at we've talked about the defensive options they're not bad midfield is a different kettle of fish everybody has their own opinion on that and i think I think if they're going to freshen up that midfield, I think there's going to be outs before there's ins. But yeah, it's it's the striker debate, and that's what I'll call it, and the wingers. And I I think they are yeah. the the fact we have the Aaron saga proves they know they need to bring somebody in there, and they will. Yes, and hopefully that will get done early, which is just to box off another question. Um, and I, I won't dwell on uh, transfers too much now because I think we'll come back to the transfers later on. Um, but yeah, I think the idea 
idea is to try and get that deal done as early in the window as they as they possibly can. I think the reason that they're not doing it sort of now in a you know six weeks in advance is just if if they do it today and then he goes and breaks his leg tomorrow, then yeah, <laughs> you know you're knackered. You you've spent your winger money, so I I imagine that they're just sort of they're going to get to the end of December and then they'll go right. Let's get this paperwork signed off now. This is from David Drummond. It says, this is not a cynical question, but do we stay up based on our financial stability while three others go down? No need to invest, just hang on for the bumpy ride and reevaluate when the stadium doors reopen. I think there's a lot of sense in that, if I'm honest, because I think <laughs> I think anything other than that is almost gambling, is, yeah. is the issue. And I think that if you look at town... The way Town are trying to do their recruitment, the messages that have been coming out from Phil, he has said that the the club is financially secure now. Didn't he say it was secure if there's no fans next season as well? He said that the if there's no fa- he said if there's no fans for the rest of this season, they're fine, yeah. no problems. And if they if there's no fans for the rest of next season as well, then they'll need to to tighten things up again. But they are still fundamentally yeah. Fine. I and I think I think there's a hell of a lot to be said for that. I think right now, right at the moment, with things as they are, you you sort of almost have to accept that and. I think if you look at Town's recruitment, they're being far more clever. Um, people came in, Saar came in, Pereira we've not seen yet, um, but he may well turn out to be fine. Vallejo we haven't seen yet, but there's a lot of sort of quite encouraging things being said about him. And Danny Ward, we both think longer term will probably be a decent signing. So I think it's a, I think it's about clever recruitment, and I think it's about spending your money in the right places. And a lot of clubs in this division can afford to gamble because they do have billionaire owners, you know. I'm, I'm, and I'm thinking about Stoke again specifically, but there's also clubs like Forest who just want to keep investing regardless. Huddersfield Town can't afford that. Um, I think even if they'd been in the Premier League, I don't think they'd have been able to just keep ploughing money. And it's it's it, there are quite a unique set of circumstances with Huddersfield Town around the stadium and various other things. So yeah, there's there's a lot to be said for survival, in my opinion. Yeah, and not just survival in this division, but just survival, general survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as as a company and as a as a club. And I think I think we will see more and more clubs struggling more and more um particularly i think league 1 and league 2 level and and i think probably a few at championship level as well are yeah. going to be struggling a lot with with what's been going on and and just the fact that that Huddersfield town are stable and secure and they're not going to go under i think at the moment is is a win and if they can stay in the championship throughout all that then i think that's you know about as much as as you can ask for and and I know that people will say what about the premier league money or what about the 15 million a year that that Dean Hoyle's taking back out as as I say Phil Hodgkinson has said that that Dean has deferred his his latest payment um and 
I, and, I, and I do get that, but I think, you know, again, that as the club keeps saying, that that money has been spent, and if you don't want to believe them, then there's there's nothing more that they can say and but i think the the you know they can't hide anything with the the way that they have to publicly publish all of their accounts it's it's there for everyone to see so we'll see there's no point in phil hodgkinson lying about any of this i would say because it's going to come out in the accounts in you know in march and then the following march anyway or april when whenever the accounts come out so yeah it's uh and I think that there is an argument as well that the clubs that are sensible now might be in a better position once things do return to normal, whether that's six months from now, a year, two years, three years. Those clubs will probably be in a better position for having having taken that approach. Yeah, I'd agree. Magic. Um, on that subject, though, back to Savan John, in what aspect do you guys think we've benefited the most from our Premier League experience? Because I'm struggling to find one. Uh, I felt we didn't push enough in the transfer market and business-wise to really help our cause. Um, I think on that, I would again, I would just say I think they did try and invest money in the transfer market. I just think that they invested it poorly. Um, and in terms of the benefits from the experience, I think, yeah, it is difficult to find one on the pitch, to be perfectly honest. I think that probably longer term they're they're gonna be hopefully better off for it. They were a, a team, you know, this was a club that was, let's not forget, down in sort of sixteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth in the table pretty much every year in the championship. And now the fans are, are upset if they're not challenging for the playoffs. Um and I think that, that even though that feels like a an incremental step forward, um, is still a step up from, from where they were five years ago. Yeah. I, I, I not only would I agree with that. I I hate to say the words again, but training ground. You've you've got a physical representation of your time in the Premier League because I know some people feel it isn't everything that was promised, and it isn't everything that was promised. But you know, as as we went through on, the, was it the last podcast or the podcast before the reasons why they haven't gone for, for example, the great big three floor building, etc. There are mm. there are legitimate reasons for where they've scaled back and why they've done it, but the training ground is the Premier League legacy because there isn't really anything to point to on the pitch. There was one or two... Uh, the other thing is, I think there's the slightly metaphysical aspect of it. There were one or two good days in that first season. There are a lot of fans I know wouldn't change a thing to have had that Chelsea away game, um, for example. So it's just a very difficult thing to balance, but you have got an absolutely cracking training facility there now that is will stand for the next 10-15 years as your physical representation of that time regardless as to whether you think it was enough he said in air quotes <laughs> and and for all that they invested some of their money poorly they did invest some of it well and they obviously made a huge profit on Carl and Grant which does offset a bit of it and and that money obviously is going to be hugely important to the club over the next sort of you know a few years and, and particularly this year and although they made a big loss on him um but you know they've the still sold Terence Congolo for a deal that that sh- that will go to to something like 7 million pounds um so although that's a 10 million pound loss that is still you know a, 
a big asset that they've been able to to sell um to sell on and, and get at least some of that money back and i suspect there'll be one or two more like that as well who even if they don't make a profit on them they've got assets there that they are able to sell for millions and millions and i don't know if they would have had that if they'd never got promoted to be honest um you know if you look at what town's record sale i mean it was jordan Rhodes, and then after that it was uh there's a big drop off wasn't there so yeah, yeah. um and finally, I think this is our last one that we'll have about the board. Um, but uh, this is from HCAFC 1996, uh, big supporter of the podcast. Thank you for that. Um, do you think there is intense pressure on the board and recruitment team to really bring in the best players possible this January? Uh, and if it fails, do you see changes being made to the recruitment staff? Um I think recruitment is the single biggest driver of this football club going forward and I think if the recruitment is incorrect then I think they will have to look at changing things. The same recruitment team is there, Josh Marsh in charge and um, I think you have to look at the last window and say that was a massive win but I also think you have to look at quite a few windows before that and say they were they were big losses really. Um I've talked about before how it's. I hate this sort of trying to equate a transfer window as a win, um, but Town haven't had many wins in the transfer window. And I think the last one, they missed out on Aaron's. If they'd have got Aaron's, I think we would have been unequivocally positive about all of their business, yeah. really. Um, so the problem is that I don't think there's intense pressure. But the transfer window they've just had, they've really got to repeat that success in January and then, more importantly, in the summer to to fill out the gaps and to to lose the right players and, and keep the right players. Um, it's it's a difficult... There's a difficult player churn coming ahead and it's, it's not just for Huddersfield Town, it's to do with COVID. There's going to be... After a full, what's looking like it's going to be a full season of no supporters in, there's going to be another wave of players being let go. There's going to be some clubs who've got money in their back pocket, but they don't want to spend it. This, it's going to be another weird window. So plotting a recruitment path through it is, is I think, very difficult. Very, very difficult. And it's not just town in that position. So... Honest answer is I don't think it's intense pressure, but I, I think there is pressure to get it right going forward. But I don't think that's any more or any less pressure than there is on every recruitment department in the Championship and League One for the next, arguably, three transfer windows. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. And, and I think also that I don't think it's any more pressure on them than than it has been in any of the last few windows. Um, if anything, I think no one's going to be resting on their laurels, of course, but... I think the fact that they have just had two um, good transfer windows, I would I would argue, you know, you think about in, the players they brought in in January and the fact that they eventually ended up staying up and they got Harry Toffolo and Richard Stearman, who are still in the side now. Obviously, Emma Smith-Rowe was a huge, huge help and scored that goal against West Brom as well as making a difference in other games. They have just come off two good transfer windows and th- I think the pressure for them, uh, obviously, is, is there in terms of... of making sure the team is is the best it can be on the pitch but I think they're also not a million miles away now they're maybe only one or two windows away from people 
sort of stopping talking about those mistakes that were made in the Premier League. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the fact that, and let's name, let's put a name on it, the fact that Adama Diakabi is, is still there, um, I think is probably not helping the recruitment team in that regard because he is sort of the living embodiment of those failures. And, you know, although Isaac and Benzer has, has helped turn it, has, has been turning it around this season. And we even when we did the Would You you know, release them or renew them with the fans. The majority of people said that they would renew Isaac and Benz's contract. He, he did still cost £11 million. So you, you, there are still some sort of expensive mistakes, if you want to call them that, knocking about the club. Um, and I think that probably isn't great for their reputation. And I think once we reach a point, and I think we're only sort of two windows away from it at most, where those players are either gone or performing well um it's going to be much easier for people to move on and acknowledge yeah do you know what they did sign Pippa they did sign Harry Toffolo they did sign um and you know obviously Toffolo was you know the Cowleys knew him so you know he perhaps wasn't the, a big gamble because they knew he could take the step up but you know there's plenty of other players that they've you know Naby Sarr um, on a free is is a hell of a coup, and you know Josh Garoma they signed the previous summer in in what was actually probably otherwise a fairly poor window, uh, and he's starting to come good now, which was sort of the plan all along. So yeah, I th- I think that's probably the next the next thing for them is is keep going and and shed that that negative reputation they've got. Yeah, magic. Uh, right. Let's move on. Uh, HAFC Stato on a related subject says, who do you think Town will be at risk of losing in January? Uh, and they think that Harry Toffolo and Lewis O'Brien could be of interest to Premier League signs. Well, I think they could be, but I don't. I, I think everybody in that squad has got a price um, because that's just the nature of how Huddersfield Town have to do business. But I don't actually think there will be anyone in danger in January. I think I think Town are in a position where they don't they don't have to sell right now. Summer may be different, but I I'd be quite surprised if they lost anybody in January. If I'm honest. Um, but I mean, they are the two players. There's, there's no denying that Toffolo and O'Brien are the two that I, I know they've been scouted quite heavily. I know there are people who are looking at them, but I, I think you might lose one or the other in the summer. But um, yeah, I, I think they'll be fine in January. I don't think they'll lose either. I would agree with that, and I think if either of them do go, it will be for ridiculous money. We've, we've seen oh, that they're go. willing to hot. We've seen that they're willing to hold out for the price that they think players are worth. Um, and we've seen that not just with Colin Grant, we've seen it with Philip Billing, we've seen it um, with Aaron Moy, and we've seen it with Terence Congolo, and that they're only going to take a deal that's that's right for the club. So I think if, if either of them do go, and, and only if there's... And I'm aware of the spectre of Rolando Aaron's hanging over this, as I say this, but... They would only do it if they've got a, a replacement lined up. So, yeah, we'll 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 see. Um, but I think that if they're going to sell, and if anyone is going to go in January, then as I say, I think it's more likely to be the players whose contracts are up in the summer, and they will only be sold if they're looking to sort of bring ahead that that change and and maybe try and get a bit of money for players who are going to leave anyway. Otherwise, so James Marsh asks. 
which out of contract players should be renewed at the end of the season. We've we've touched on this already and we have put it to a fan vote as well. I think probably best, Dave, is if we just go through them and uh, and say whether we'd renew or release. And if there's any we disagree on then or that we hesitate over, then maybe we talk about them. But otherwise, we'll just run through them. Uh, otherwise, we'll be here all day. So, D'Amico Dehaney, first of all. Uh, I would keep. Yeah, same. Uh, Richard Stearman. I would keep. And I think on form this season, I think I can't I can't see the argument against. The main argument against, I think, is just his age. The fact that he's going to be 34 come the start of next season. Um, but the fact that, you know, he's still playing well and, and age is just a number in that regard. He's obviously a very experienced and professional player. Um, I, I would, I'm a bit more on the fence with this one, to be honest. I think, to be honest, I think it depends whether they're able to get one of the younger players bedded in, someone like a Romani Edmonds-Green. Um, and and it also depends on, on a couple of others who will come on to um, and whether they stay at the club. So we'll, we'll, I'm going to give it a tentative keep for now and we might come back to it. Um, Janino Bakuna? Uh, I, would, I would potentially get rid in January if you can get money for him. Agreed. Jaden Brown? Keep. Keep. I think there's a... Yeah, I think keep. there's a... I think with Jaden Brown, I think when Toffolo does go at some point, Jaden Brown should be ready at that point to step in. Yeah, agreed. Fraser Campbell, keep. I, I again, I think it depends on how th- the, the younger players push on. Yeah, my caveat would be that keep. If uh, you're right, depending on how the the younger players push on, but I would keep if you can also get him at a certain wage level because yes. I think he would. I think he's a good character. Sometimes you need characters in the dressing room. Yeah, Adama Diakabi. Release. Yes, uh, Tommy Elphick. Uh, release. Come and live with me. We will be best friends. <laughs> yeah, I I think. Uh... I think there might be a backroom role for him somewhere. Uh, you know, Danny Cowley's talked about he can he could do any him and Christopher Schindler could do any job at a football club once they hang up their boots. And you know, he's he's had a great innings, Tommy Elphick, and and coming if you know coming back from this knee injury at this stage of his career would be a huge achievement for him. If he wants to keep playing, then then all power to him. But I suspect he's someone who's got. A, half an eye on his next step really yeah i i will put up a gofundme to build a statue for tommy elphick <laughs> um ben hamer i think the way the season is going you would have to say keep but there are there are one we are only a third of the way through the season so we really need to see how the rest of the season goes but two i think if he i think they've got a if they renew or take an option up on hamer i think they've got to either keep his wages at the same level or go up and i think that i would argue if you think you can get the same level of the keeper slightly cheaper bear in mind they've got uh, a very good young keeper to try and bring through. I think possibly there's a question to think about there. Yeah, the sort of the unspoken thing on all of these is is we don't know what their wages are, and we'd no. be speculating. Um, I, I mean, I think it's worth bearing in mind that those who are signed during the Premier League years probably are getting more than they would have done if they'd signed them as a Championship club. But I'm speculating there. Um, I think I would. I think bear in mind we you've got Brian Schofield there, uh, and I think we will see Ryan Schofield get a run in the team at some point this season. Mm. I think probably. I think probably on balance it's a release for Hamer, but um, but it's not one I'd be particularly pushing for. Um, Jonathan Hogg. 
it's about characters again, isn't it? And I think, like, the way Jonathan Hogg has adapted, we talked about it last couple of weeks, has been absolutely brilliant. And you still need to have some leaders in that dressing room. You still need to have some characters. So I'd be sorely tempted to to keep, to be honest with you, which is quite interesting because if you'd have asked me that before the season started... I would have said release without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, I, I would. I would go keep as well. The season he's having, and he's he's only going to turn thirty-two in December, which mm. is uh, was slightly surprising to me. But uh, just because he seems like he's been around for so long, but uh, yeah, he's uh, he's on my keep list as well. Mm. Isaac and Benza, uh, like you answer first. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think wages is the big factor. If he's on. I think you can probably get a winger of equivalent quality for for less money, is my hunch, uh, bearing in mind the fee that he brought, which is not always an indicator of wages, but there's normally at least a bit of correlation there. Um, so I would probably say release, but again, if they can get him on a on a deal that works for the club, then I don't see why, why not. Yeah, I broadly agree, but the thing is, <laughs> I was having this conversation with someone just yesterday, I think we've seen green shoots of recovery and I think we've seen a player who's who's trying again um, and wants a future career as a professional footballer so has decided he really needs to, to get going this season. I'm not sure I've seen enough there yet to say I would just go and renew, if I'm honest. I, I'm, mm. I'm, ve- I'm on the fence with that one. I think even if the wages were very cheap, I'm still not totally sure I would renew yet we'll we'll see uh, Alex Pritchard uh, I like Alex Pritchard and I think there's a player there I, I just think he's done at this football club I think he needs a yeah. new challenge and I don't think he I don't think he fits into Corbyn's system either particularly easily so as he was under Jan and as he was under the Cowleys as it turned out when they were playing when they kept having to change their formation he always feels like he's a slightly square peg in a round hole yeah I, he's one him I think if they can sell him or Bakuna in yeah, January I think they have and, to yeah I, and bring in a, a an attacking an attack minded central midfielder who is does not need to play as a number 10 and is going to give you a bit more consistency than Bakuna, I think. I think that would probably be after after a winger or two wingers, probably quite high up on their wish list, mm. to be honest. But I'm speculating there. Um, Christopher Schindler. <laughs> I I don't think you can. I don't think you can get rid of Schindler and Stearman. I think one one or the other mm. has to stay, and I think it yeah. completely comes down to when we're in sort of. March, April time, and the season is is nearing its finish. I think you have to look back and say, right, okay, who has had the better season? Who's physically going to offer us more for another year, another two potentially? With Edmonds Green and with Critchlow and with Saar and with likely, I I think Town might dip in for a central defender because they, you got Elphick well into his thirties, Schindler well into his thirties, Stearman well into his thirties. You're probably only going to keep one, and you probably need to get another central defender. So I, I think I think you just have to. That really does have to be left till the end of the season, and then you look back and see what they've both done. Yeah, I think Schindler's a couple of years younger than the others, but yeah, he he's his pace is I, going. 
I think there is a, a quiet acknowledgement, and everyone loves Christopher Schindler, mm-hmm. um, but I think there's a quiet acknowledgement, and I'm talking about the fans here, that he's not the player he, he was um, at this stage and, and hasn't been for a couple of years now. I think the, the Premier League really did take a, a lot out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's he's a great guy, and he's, he's you know, he'll go down as one of the all-time greats at this club, but I think there's a few people who would understand if he took next summer if he himself almost took next summer as an opportunity to 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 try something else uh and Romney Critchlow I assume we'd both renew yeah I think you have to yeah yeah brilliant right there we go that's that one boxed off um we should try and speed up a bit here Dave I think because we've still got plenty of questions um I think we've answered the question about whether Orlando Aarons will be signed as, as early in January as possible. I think they will try to do that. Mm. Um, Sue Arthur here is asking, is it possible to construct a deal which allows Aarons to train with us immediately? So he's up to speed in January. I can answer this one because um, I've looked into this and whether other players have done this before. Basically, it depends on whether there is... Uh, it depends on insurance, basically, for, for, to begin with. That's the big question mark. It depends whether Newcastle would be willing to let him do that. And there's also EFL rules around how long you're allowed to train with a club for, I believe. So they would have to register him as a trialist. And there are, I think, is it four weeks or something like that, is the maximum that they can train with as a, a with the team as a trialist. So... Um, so there's that one. It, it is, I think, theoretically possible, but whether it's practically possible to do it with with everything that's involved is another matter. You know, if um, it's se- you know, it's a sexy answer when you're talking about insurance. I know, I know. <laughs> um, Johnny here is saying certain teams seem to regularly sell and source key attacking performers. Uh, and they're thinking specifically of Peterborough, Brentford and Burnley. Town have a few examples with Grant and Rhodes and Wells. What do you think these teams do differently with their approach, or is it purely luck? I think I think luck does play a part of it, if I'm brutally honest. I, I think the way uh, scouting and, and looking for players works now is there are very few surprises left in world football, not just in <laughs> in English football, in world football. And you get a lot of people after the same players who have the same set of attributes because that's that's what everybody thinks they need up front, and it just a lot of it comes down to sort of personalities and and the players who really knuckle down and really push on. One of the things apparently that marked Ollie Watkins out right from the start was just his his obscene attitude to work. All he wanted to do was just train and learn and improve and. You can't. That's not a quantifiable thing. You know that is something that comes down to luck. You can get a player who's got all the attributes at a certain age, but if uh, eighteen months later, if their attitude's gone off the rails, you know it's it's difficult. But I I think I think Peterborough. I think the models they've talked about there. The one thing I would say is that they're very very good in those areas. They're not so good in other areas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a reason Peterborough have been sort of stuck in in League mm-hmm. One for a while now. To be fair, um, but yeah, I think it's luck and timing, um, and obviously you need to be on the ball with your scouting. But you know, Town did really well to get Carlin Grant when they did at the price that they did, and and obviously we've seen that they've sold him for a massive profit now. Uh, and Jordan Rhodes, you know, it was again right place, right time. He sort of slipped through the cracks at Ipswich. 
and uh, and you know, town were there to to scoop him up. And similar things happened to. We were talking about this last week, weren't we, Dave? Privately, Harry Toffolo ending up at Lincoln. You know, clearly a player who's capable of playing at this level, but just sort of slipped through the cracks at Norwich, slipped through the cracks at at, at Millwall, um, and ended up in League Two, and has had to work his way back up. And it happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, what you I say? Think, but, go on. Uh, well. Th- just I know we've got to I know we've got to move on, but I th- like one of the things I would say is like it's not as sexy. But if you look at Town's defensive recruitment, it has been barring a couple of sort of higher profile failures like Congolo, it, it has been more or less consistently pretty good for quite a while now. Um, and you do tend to find that clubs are better in some areas than they are at others because you know they have personnel who are just better at seeing certain types of player. So I think it's just it's just not as sexy as going and finding a striker who goes and bangs in twenty five goals in that season, and you know you can sell him for like twenty five million. Yeah. Um, Mark asks: Are the players that they've got now good enough to start creating chances, or do we still need lots of new faces in order to start scoring goals regularly? I think the winger is key. If I'm honest, I, I, the the thing is about Mbenza's form is he still there's still gaps in his game, and he's still like me and you were tearing our hair out because he he has to do something good before he's got the confidence to try anything to to try anything with like a level of risk. Um, so it, it's a difficult one because like the, the statistician in me says that they need to get new players in because you can't keep doing the same things with the same players and expect a different result. But I think Vallejo may help when he comes in because I think his range of passing is pretty good. I think Jonathan Hogg's sort of rebirth as a as a passing deeper lie quarterback midfielder may may give some dividends I think Pritchard could come back in there is a world where he comes back in and helps out an awful lot it's a difficult one it's a difficult one I I do think a winger would go a long way and particularly a sort of what I would say a, a true winger you know a winger who mm. who's just wants to provide crosses and chances every opportunity he gets yeah I, I think there is definitely improvement still to come from mm. from this team, and I think we've we've generally seen, and it's not been sort of dramatic leaps uh, every game. If it was, they'd have you know started winning games seven nil. But it's been that that's not how football works. It is a series of steps forward and steps back, and I think we're seeing they're taking more forward steps than than backward steps at the moment. Um, and they have started scoring goals, as we've noted before. That you know the how many is it in a row that they've games in a row they've scored now? Is it eight or nine? Um, but as we've talked about before repeatedly on this podcast, it's about getting to the point where they're scoring two or three um, with more regularity, and they've they've not been doing that. So I think I think it is coming. I think they could do with a bit of help. I think central midfield for me as uh, obviously there's the winger but I think central midfield for me is has looked a bit um disordered at times um and I think we've seen improvement in that over the last sort of three games and I think that the international break will have helped massively with that as well Mark's other question is uh how much the failures of the last two or three years are, are down to the director of football appointments and and the failures in that role um, I, th- I think there is a level of blame attached to that, if I'm honest. I think a director of football often sets the tone for the rest of the football club. And I've 
I've spoke before about how a lot of the best people in the sort of roles higher up in football clubs, you just don't know who they are because they quietly go about their business in a very efficient way. And the fact that Town have had people come in and go and all this sort of thing, I think is is tells a story. I, I don't think it's by far not the biggest reason, but I think it's one of many reasons. And I... I think the other thing I suspect is that if they'd have kept the Cowleys going forward longer term, I don't think they're particularly managers who like working with a director of football. I think they like a bit of autonomy themselves. We don't know what Corbyn's take on that is, how he wants to work, how much of that he wants himself. We've no idea, but I think Lee Bromby is, is there for the longer term. So I think we have a bit of stability there and that will that will pay dividends longer term. From what I'm told about Carlos Corbran, he just wants to coach. Like mm. that's that's all he wants. He he obviously has the final say on recruitment and he'll say, you know, we don't have players in this area or all we could do with an improvement in that area. But from what I understand he doesn't have any interest in getting his you know, rolling up his sleeves and trawling through a database of players or, you know, getting on the phone to, to other managers and asking about players' availabilities. He's he's purely a coach and that's his passion and that's what he wants to do. And I think to be honest, I, I, you've touched on sort of the the Cowleys wanting to have a bit more autonomy on transfers, and I, I suspect that that is a, a large factor. They, they talk about the style of play, but I I can only imagine that that and there's been suggestion about this as well um, that that has been a large factor um, in the decision to replace them because I think they they wanted a coach who fit into that system they already had um, because. Um, you know that's what they were trying to go for with Jan Sievert was a manager who would work with with the director of football or head of fo- football operations as it is at town um and i think that the the Cowleys was a step away from that that actually they found once they were in that they were uncomfortable with so yeah i think that that was a a factor uh finally on transfers which brighton youth players should town look to bring in loan in january hmm. um i well there are several players in our youth team who are extremely good. Uh, uh, Rida Kedira, I think it is Kedra, who is the lad we've signed from um, Dortmund, who has just come in and just been absolutely outstanding. Is is the one that everybody is very very excited about. But I think uh, Town Town's it, it, being serious for a moment. Town's philosophy is is going forward not to develop other clubs players unless there's a a really huge and sort of longer term benefit for them so i i don't i don't think town are going to be loaning youth players going forward i think they're looking for finished articles who can come in and help that first 11 straight away yeah i exactly they're not going to be i think where they might do loans and they've 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 said this themselves, and they've been pretty consistent on this line. Is if they are going to bring in loan players, they want it to be someone of the the caliber of Emil Smith Rowe, who you're just not going to get anywhere else in the loan market. They're not interested in bringing in a loan player just to fill the gap. They would, as you say, they'd rather give that opportunity to someone in the B team. Speaking of which, uh, Patrick Balbontin asks, "Do you think we're likely to see Kieran Phillips in the first team during December?" And also with those 13 players out of contract at the end of the season. Uh, oh, in fact, we sorry. Uh, sorry, let, let me start again. Uh, Patrick Paul Bunton asked, do you think we're likely to see Kieran Phillips in the first team during December? And Edward Smith separately has also asked, 
are there, if there are any other youngsters that are likely to make it through as first team regulars. So two related questions there. Um, I will start with this one. I think on Kieran Phillips, I think we will see him at some point, whether that's during December, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the bench, particularly if there was an injury or a niggle with, with Danny Ward or Fraser Campbell. But I think that the fact that they've got those two back now probably limits Kieran Phillips's opportunities a bit just because town play a one-striker system, uh, by which I mean you know a front three with a central striker. I know that they've dabbled with the 3-5-2, but I think you can adapt that in-game by putting Karoma up front alongside either Ward or Campbell, or you play Ward and Campbell up together. Um, so I don't know if they need a third centre-forward in the matchday squad. Um, but Corbran has said that Kieran Phillips, they've been managing his minutes up till now, similar to how they had been with uh, with Lewis O'Brien because he'd had an injury um, and that's why he hadn't sort of featured before despite the fact that they only had Fraser Campbell as, as a senior centre forward so that's Kieran Phillips I think we'll see him this season but I think it would probably take an injury or an illness for, for us to see him in December um, in terms of other youngsters that are going to make it through I think we're both big fans of Romani Edmonds Green aren't we yeah um, yeah massive so I think he'll come through. I think Ryan Schofield, as I said, will. will I think the the intention is that he will probably get minutes before the end of the season. I think uh, Phil and Lee said that in the interview that we did with them, that that that's the intention is to try and embed him into the side uh, once they're sort of uh, safe from relegation and and it reaches a certain point of the season that he will come in for Ben Hamer, and I think they see a big future for him. But we're talking. I mean, the question is, will they make it through as first team regulars? I think probably Edmunds Green and Schofield are probably your best bets if you're looking for regulars rather than just players that are going to fill the odd gap here or there. Mm-hmm. I, I have a slightly different take in that I think that the schedule after this international break is just so insane. Um, December and January, I, th- I think we're almost guaranteed to see Phillips um, because I think even without injury or illness or anything else, I think Campbell already could do with a break. He's having the international break, but then, like, December is just insane. (laughs) It's just they never stop playing football. I think there's going to be a couple of matchday squads. If, if, If you can, it would be good to either leave him on the bench or leave him out altogether. So I think we probably definitely will see Phillips I think we'll certainly see Critchlow I think we'll definitely see Edmonds Green um, and it, it like no matter how good a young player is it all comes down to those that have the sort of mentality and the personality to take their chance so who knows going forward let's hope they're all you know all good <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking of which, Gaz of the bass or possibly Gaz of the bass. It's hard to say. It depends whether he likes guitars or fish. Um, he says the high intensity style should suit Lewis O'Brien, but he's looked a little bit lost. Are there any concerns about his ability to adapt to the system and perform as well as last season? I think we talked a bit about this on the last pod, didn't we, Dave? There's reasons for that. Yeah, there are reasons for it, but I, I think that I think coming into a Corbin team is going to be difficult for anyone. So I think Lewis O'Brien is almost a test case for signings going forward. I th- I think you're going to see quite a few people. I I don't want to say the words Bielsa and Leeds, but 
a similar thing has happened with Leeds in that they haven't gone out and signed loads and loads of players because it's quite difficult to bring players in who can get up to speed with that sort of style straight away. And I think we're going to see a similar thing with Town. And O'Brien had a serious injury. He's come back in. He looks okay on the ball. It's just he's got to get used to the fact that suddenly people he's used to almost sitting in certain areas are now off and running so he'll he'll be fine longer term he'll be fine yeah i i just to sort of repeat what we said last podcast i think the he's had to play 90 minutes three times in eight days and i think if they hadn't had alex pritchard's injury or and and janino bakuna's illness both at the same time i don't think there's any way o'brien would have played 90 minutes in all three games. I think they would have probably rested him for one and taken him off in, in at least one of the others. So. Yeah, I think some of the problems you've talked about in midfield as well, I think once, if you've got O'Brien one side, Iting the other, yeah. and Hogg sitting consistently for sort of 10 games that aren't played you know, every three days, I think suddenly it might look a little bit different, if I'm honest. I think it might look fine. But I think the fact that they've had to chop and change and... Janino Bakuna is Janino Bakuna and Pritchard's being injured, etc., has made it all look a bit messy. Yeah. Um, Thomas Hepworth says it feels unfair to judge Carlos too much with the tools he's got, but he's doing a cracking job thus far for me. However, in what timescale do the club expect him to take us to the next level? Uh, so he's talking about being playoff contenders there. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit early to say at the moment. I think, I don't think there's. They're saying it's no limits again, but I think realistically, I don't think they're expecting to to challenge for the playoffs this season. Um, I think if it's, I think it'd be a massive bonus if they do. I think you have to remember that they obviously they they only just avoided relegation last year, and I think a comfortable mid-table finish, everyone would be reasonably pleased with that, given the season that they've just come off the back of, and and given everything that's gone on around COVID and everything like that. Um, and I think that, that COVID and coronavirus, which are the same thing, um, are, are going are gonna to play a part in sort of the expectations um, because we've talked about sort of the level of investment and and I think that we'll have to see how it shakes out with other clubs and whether they're able to continue investing, whether it turns out that Town have taken an incredibly wise approach and they're going to be in a miles better position than anyone else. Um, whether teams do continue invested in town and have a ceiling as a result, um, I don't know. But I, yeah, I think I think there's too many variables at the moment to to try and predict at what point they would expect him to push for the playoffs. Yeah, I I think the I think he's doing a good job. I think he's getting players going the right way. I still think there's a lot of historical problems in that squad and in that side that need sorting properly so I still think there's a lot of work ahead but you know loving the time of Covid as we are at the moment I think you you have to be realistic and say who knows because this is going to be a season with an asterisk and next season is going to feel like a season with an asterisk too I think because I think it's an obelix yeah (laughs) there's not going to be like the first day of next season, there's not going to be full grounds up and down the country and people rejoicing. It's just not going to happen that way. So I think timescales are almost impossible to put on managers. And I think clubs that do put timescales on managers are the ones that are going to be gambling with 
vast budgets um, in town's position. They've just got a any progress they have to take as fine, absolutely fine. Yeah, and as a related question, Dan has asked, you know, Koku is the latest project manager to have been snacked. And although Phil said that, that Carlos is here for the long term, if town have a string of bad results and drop into the bottom three and are struggling, do you think Hodgkinson would stick to his word or would he pull the trigger? Um, I think that, that he would stick to his word for as long as he possibly could. Um, and I think uh, they when when we were coming into this season, the message I got loud and clear for the club was, you know, we are going to stick by Carlos, basically. Uh, no matter what, we believe in him. We know that, that there might be short-term issues. We know that, that, you know, results might not be there straight away, but... We believe in this project. We believe that longer term he's going to get the best out of the club and he's going to be the best thing for it. And and we're determined to stick to that. And this is what they you know they were saying that to me, even after they had you know those defeats at the start of the season. So that was um, that that was I think a, a reassuring to hear because I think the last thing they we've talked about this before, but the last thing they need is is more sort of churn of staff. Um, and more things, more change after they've had sort of 18 months of nothing but change. Yeah, I think projects is possibly the worst word in football. I think it's <laughs> it's just such a stupid concept. Um, I think context in football changes so quickly that mm. it's almost impossible to have this dreamy project that you're committed to. Uh, there's there's completely different context. If town feel they can see the improvements on the pitch, but results aren't coming because they feel they need a bit more recruitment, they need another transfer window, they need a little bit more support to the coaching team, then they're not going to do anything. But if if the context is that town are in the bottom three and they've invested heavily in January and it's quite clear that you know the players aren't happy and certain things aren't happening they're not listening to the manager that's a completely different context yeah. so what you had at derby is that situation the players weren't playing for the manager it was all very disparate there was too many voices in the dressing room from what i'm told it just it depends there's lots and lots of ways that things can go wrong and lots and lots of ways that things can go right so I don't think Phil Hodgkinson would get anywhere near to sacking Carlos Corbran while there is any sort of reason to point to an area of positivity, put it that way. Yeah, and and speaking of those areas of positivity, Matt24HTFC, catchy name Matt, um, says, are you surprised that Carlos has improved players who, it was felt, were destined to leave, like in Benzer and Hamer and so on? Um in terms of surprised, I think we talked on this podcast before at the start of the season um, that, that that was the idea, was we've got players here who we know are good players and they've not been performing well, which answers another question that Thomas Hepworth actually sent our way as well. Um, so that's two ticks on my box there. But um, no, I think that, that was the idea, was look, we've got this group of players who we're not seeing the best out of and we expect the manager to do that. And from what I'm told, he came in and on day one, he was like, yeah, I can work with him. I can work with him. I can work with him. That's fine. So that's, uh, again, not a huge surprise to see that, that there's been that improvement in some players. And I think the surprising thing is just how many of them it's been. I think 
at, at the start of the season, we would have said if he can get a tune out of sort of one of of the three or four players that had been underperforming, then that's that's a that's a positive. So the fact that he's done it with Mbenza, he's done it with Hamer, and I mean Pritchard, I'm not going to say was on the right path on the basis of 45 minutes of football, but you know was was looking good before he had to go off with his latest injury. So. There has been that improvement there, um, and I think, as I say, that the hit rate is the surprising thing more than anything else. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> you know, I haven't, re- I haven't really got anything else to add to that, to be honest. Magic TTC Matt, we know that guy we says considering <laughs> considering the amount of shots Josh Groom has taken from the positions he's taken them. If Colin Grant had stayed with us and been one hundred percent committed, where do you think Town would be in the table? Uh, potentially lower. And that I mean that won't go down well with Matt, and that won't go down with several people. But these sort of hypotheticals, I think, if Carlin Grant had still been there and playing for Huddersfield Town this season, then he would have been. Bear in mind all the goals he got last season; he would have likely been doubled up on. They certainly would have had a specific plan to stop him coming inside, and he wouldn't have had the luxury of the unknown that Josh Caroma has had. I think one of the reasons Caroma has sort of blossomed and benefited is that he he doesn't get particularly special attention, not like Town's fullbacks do, for instance. I think if Grant was still in that side, you may find that he would not have got those three, four goals that Karoma's got. I genuinely do. It's a weird hypothetical anyway. But, um, mm. yeah, it's it doesn't just translate that if you take Karoma out and put Grant in that he gets all the same shots from all the same areas in all the same games and that he suddenly scores four or five more of them. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of these sort of fantasy football hypothetical questions either. Um, so screw you, Matt. You've let us down. <laughs> no, we're only saying this because we know Matt. We value all of our listeners and respect everyone who consumes our content. Um, we no, it's uh... enjoy winding him up on WhatsApp, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do. No, um, yeah, I, I think. I, I, I'm not, as I say, I'm not a huge fan of these hypothetical questions, but I don't think that Carl and Grant suddenly makes you a playoff contender. You'd need five more points to do that, and I think I don't think he gets you five more points in in eleven games. No. Um, as great a finisher as he is, and you know there is a conversation to be had around Josh Caroma and the fact that he needs too many shots for each of his goals. Um, I think it's something like fourteen shots for each goal, which is very very high. Um, and suggest that that some of his decision making is is not fantastic, um, and you know Grant's proportion was was much much lower than that last season. But as you say, it's it's not as simple as just saying, well, you take this player out and put this player in, and automatically they've got ten more goals this season. Um, and and I think to a certain extent, Town succeeded last year, and Grant scored so many goals because they were playing to him, kind of thing. Um, mm. And I'm not sure whether you would have had the same development as a team as a whole um, if you had Colin Grant in there, because I think the temptation then is always you revert back to that bad habit of well, just pass it to Carlin and see if he'll do something. And I think yeah, which, ha- which was it- a terrible habit. 
Yeah, it really was towards the end of last season. So yeah. I think I think probably taking that crutch away longer term um, might actually have, have served them quite well, um, or shorter term, I should say. Um, yeah, I got, just final point on that. I know we're trying to whip through them. I just... I've no doubt that Grant would enjoy playing in a Corbyn side, but it, it just—I'm not totally convinced that he gets those goals Karoma scored. I'm not totally convinced he doesn't get more than that potentially. But I just—you can't just lift out and lift in. So, like town fans who think that Grant would make them playoff contenders are sort of willfully ignoring the fact that he would still be playing with. Janino Bakuna behind him and Pritchard would still have all these injury problems. The midfield would still look messy. They'd have still Stearman would have still given away that goal against Norwich, etc. etc. So it's just it's you know, it's a funny conversation to have really. Uh yeah. The next question is from John. He says, Do we think that town fans' expectations are realistic or unrealistic? Uh he personally feels that, that Phil's top thirty uh goal was aspirational. I think aspirational for a reason, though, to be fair. I mean, mm. there's no point setting goals if they're just eminently achievable. Um, I think that that is a nice target for town to have to be at least in the top 10 in the championship. Uh, and I think it's, they've, I mean, they've shown it's an achievable target if they sort of hit their straps and get everything right. I think they are always going to be struggling a little bit against... Um, the fact that they are not the biggest team in in this division, let alone in in the Premier League, and and that does have an impact in terms of the type of players that you can attract, the profile of players you can attract, the profile of staff that you are able to attract, um, and obviously we know that that wage bill is the biggest and most reliable predictor of future success of anything that you can point to in football. The wage bill is the most important thing and town are never going to have a top 30 in the country um, wage bill unless they happen to, to be in the Premier League, in which case they are going to have it just by default, just because the the gap between the Premier League and the Championship is so vast. So they are always, I think, going to be a club that needs to be really, really smart and really, really on the ball to be that sort of top half playoff contending championship side, I think. they they There are certain clubs in this division who need to sort of do a lot wrong not to be, yeah. <laughs> not to be one of those sides. Um, and I think Town are one of the teams that, that need to do everything right to be one of those sides. Money talks, ultimately, and the... Uh... The gamblers in the division may not be there longer term, but they they are always going to be in that group um, and town are not a club that are going to gamble going forward. I think it's good to have an aspirational target, but it's worth saying the promotion season was that was the first time they'd finished in the top half for you know years and years, wasn't it? Or they'd finished twice in so mm. many years. So I think aspiration is absolutely fine and I think top 30 is a good aspiration to have but in terms of the actual question are, fans, are town fans realistic or unrealistic I, I don't think they're either really I think it's just town are a roller coaster club over the last three years this massive high of going up <laughs> over again. the last 20 years yeah <laughs> but specifically over the last few years there's this like huge high of going up in a season when you were never supposed to go up and then there's this huge high of staying up in a season that you were never supposed to stay up in but also that season it was pretty bad for quite a long spell particularly that sort of January February March time where it was 
it was tough, a tough watch. Then the sort of Titanic low of last season, uh, of the last season in the Premier League, I should say. Then the low of the Championship start. Then the high of getting somewhere near form, and then COVID, and then the mini league, and then the Cowleys, and it's just. I don't think that any expectation is realistic when you look back at very recent history. I think part of the problem is town fans need an almost a reset because they just they're not sure what they should be right now. Should they be an ex Premier League club pushing for the playoffs? Should they be content to go back to what they were in the championship? Should they be something different altogether? I think by the end of this season they'll have more of an idea. Yeah, and I think that's why it's sort of changing almost week to week at the moment. Yeah. Because at, at the start of the season, if, you, if you'd ask people, and we did ask people, what are your expectations? Most people said relegation battle or we'll be just outside the relegation zone. And now they're mid-table and we're seeing certain people on Twitter complaining that they're not challenging for the playoffs. Um, and, you know, it's. I think it's a good thing it's probably a positive for the club overall that the goalposts are moving like that because it shows that 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 progress has been made. But as you know, as we've said on this podcast repeatedly, and as Carlos Gorbran has said himself, if you lose, you know, if you have a bad week and lose three games, you can suddenly be sort of back towards the relegation zone and everyone's panicking again. Mm. And if you have a good week and you get seven points out of nine. Uh, and you you know you're up in in seventh and you know everyone's going oh we're going to be in the Premier League next year and I think probably realistically Town are probably going to be and this is the next question I suppose is where are they going to finish this season and that's probably where we should should end is is the prediction for the rest of the season um, but I think to answer that without having asked it um i think they're going to be about where they are now i think they're going to be somewhere between sort of ninth and 15th probably for most of the rest of the season and i think there might be the odd couple of weeks where they're up in you know sixth seventh there might be the odd couple of weeks where they're down in 16th 17th but i think they're generally going to be floating around where they are at the moment and that would represent a good season i think yeah, I I think you're probably about right. I the one thing I've consistently said is I think the way that Corbram plays and the squad Town have got, I think they're going to get a couple of hidings in the future. Just because more than anything, I think there's going to be a couple of games where players are just out on their bums because of the nature of the season. Because there are so many games. I think what fans have to do is just take that on the chin and remember all the games where it's more positive and things are looking a lot better. And we said before the start of the season, Steve, we said when the Cowleys were still at the club and we were talking about this season, just a nice mid-table, relatively drama-free finish would be just the very thing. And I I still think that wants to be the sort of outer Mm. limit of the ambition at the moment, if I'm brutally honest. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Right, I think we will probably leave that there in that case then, Dave. That was a megapod, a super megapod. (laughs) It was. I think it will probably cut down to something not too much longer than the, the usual podcast, but... We'll, we'll see how it goes. Obviously, you're listening to this. You'll know how long it was in the end. Um, 
But uh, yeah, hopefully. I, I apologize. Was... I apologize if my dog snoring makes it through the edit. <laughs> but I hope that was that was useful for everyone. And I I think we only sort of left a couple of questions on the table, and those were ones that I think we sort of touched on Covered elsewhere. Questions, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. So thank you hugely to everyone who sent in questions and thank you to everyone who's listening as well. Uh, Dave, how are things going at Ockley Books? What have you got on at the moment? Quite frankly, uh, it's none of your business. <laughs> Fine. All right, then. <laughs> yeah, we have we have loads of deals. We've got all the Christmas stuff um, that is up and coming over the next couple of weeks. We've got a new book next week. There's there's loads of stuff. We've got a very good new book on football chance, the history of football chance, uh, a study looking into it that is going really really well phenomenally well so uh yes head on over there for your football book needs magic cool right we'll see you next time have a good one see you there.